0: A few years ago, uh, reality makeovers were all the rage. There was extreme makeover where folks received a physical makeover, often including plastic surgery. What not to wear and how do I look gave fashion makeovers. HGTV has now gotten into the game, and they have shows like Flipper Flop, Fixer Upper, and um, Property Brothers, all focused on home makeovers. One of my guilty pleasures is occasionally watching Love It or List It, where a designer makes over a family home while a realtor shows them new houses. The designer's goal is to get the homeowner to love it, and the realtor hopes that they will list it. (laughs) My favorite part of these makeover shows is the very end where they show you the split screen before and after pictures, old and new. I love seeing how the home or the person looked before the makeover and marveling at the big change. In our epistle reading for today, we're told that Christ is inviting us into a divine makeover. We've been hearing from the letter to the Ephesians for the last month or so. This is a beautiful letter whose overarching focus is unity in the church. Paul tells us that some of us were Gentiles and some of us were under the covenant of Israel, but in Christ, we are a new creation joined together. Using the image of the body, he tells us that we are to grow up into the full stature of Christ, each working to promote healthy growth of the whole body. So after speaking to us about what it means to be unified in Christ, Paul then moves on to the details. What does this life in Christ mean? look like. In today's passage, he lays out several aspects of a life made over by Christ. First, be truthful. Sounding like the old timer that I am quickly becoming, I have to say that we live in a time that I thought I'd never see. (laughs) Lying is so ubiquitous that we've developed phrases like misspoke and walking it back to keep from having to say, lying, over and over and over. Lying has not only become more commonplace, but those caught lying are no longer shamed by it. The more likely response now is indignation, at that you've actually pointed out that they have, in fact, lied. With the terrible example being set for us by the national conversation, we might, in comparison, <laughs> look pretty squeaky clean. I mean, after all, we don't outright lie. But there are many ways that we can be untruthful in addition to outright lies. As prevalent as it currently is, it's not so much intentional lying, but carelessness with the truth that leads to so much falsehood in the world. One of the ways that we are careless with the truth is the way we use always, never, everybody, and nobody We ought not say, everybody thinks that is a bad idea. Very often, everybody is one or two people. And we ought not to say, you always behave this way, or you never listen to me. The absolute terms we use in our encounters with one another are not truthful, and they are conversation killers. They don't invite us into better communication and understanding with one another. Another way we are untruthful is through silence. Andre Moroy calls this the menace of things unsaid. We might be in a group where something untruthful or disrespectful or inappropriate or hurtful is said. We don't want to stand out and we don't want to come off as judgmental, so we just remain silent. At best, our silence can be seen as tacit agreement. At worst, we have missed an opportunity to speak a word in love that might plant a seed for greater charity moving forward. And it doesn't have to be a chastisement of the speaker. It can be a supportive statement for the person or object of disrespect. The body of the church can only function properly when we speak and live in truth. Second, be angry, but do not sin. When I teach a class on the seven deadly sins, we discuss whether it is ever appropriate to be angry or if anger is always a sin. There's biblical support for both views. Righteous indignation is often used to describe anger that is not sinful. Jesus displayed righteous indignation when he turned over the tables of the sellers and the money changers in the temple. And he displayed righteous indignation with the Pharisees who judged him for healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Righteous indignation can motivate us to get involved in God's justice. The end of slavery as an institution, women gaining the right to vote, the civil rights movement, all of these were rooted in righteous indignation. But the truth is that most of the anger that populates our lives is not righteous indignation. It's the anger that can very easily lead to sin. And it is this anger to which Paul speaks. This anger is a big issue for us. It seems that more and more we become easily incensed and livid over the slightest of actions. I mean, Take a moment and think of the phenomena of road rage. Our lives are so fast paced, we race around to appointments and practices and meetings and errands. We have no margins built into our lives, and so we find it hard to make time to sit with God or rest in Scripture or be in Christian fellowship. We haven't made time to fill our tank with Christ's peace, and so we have no reserves from which to draw when our anger buttons are pushed. It's almost as if we relish the emotional rush of a dramatic outburst more than giving the benefit of the doubt or seeking reconciliation. On the other side of the spectrum from these hurtful and destructive outbursts is the anger that is buried within. Most of us have been told that it is wrong to be angry, so we swallow our resentments and our hurts. We push them down so that they start to poison us from the inside. Our anger flourishes when it is driven inside and denied the light of day. This is why Paul tells us, do not let the sun go down on your anger. The longer we refuse to deal with our anger, the less likely we are to resolve it. If we have been wrong, we need to pray for the grace to admit it and ask for forgiveness. If we believe we were right, we need to pray for the grace to take the first step to mend the relationship. We must acknowledge our anger and work to reconcile relationships so that we are contributing to unity rather than division. Third, speak only what is good for building up the body. And this one is tied to our charge to be truthful and to deal with our anger in a way that does not lead to sin. If we could live into this injunction, we would have very little issue with those first two. I have a family member who says everything that enters her mind. There is no filter between what she thinks and what comes out of her mouth. And while much of what she says is interesting or entertaining— Quite a bit is unkind or inappropriate. I'm always reminding her, you know, you don't have to say everything that pops into your head. We don't have to say everything that pops into our head. There is much truth to the old adage, if you can't think of anything nice to say, just don't say anything at all. But why would we even want to live with the kind of thoughts that need holding back? When we live in gratitude, when we do give people the benefit of the doubt, when we focus on our blessings, we change our thoughts. And the goal is not simply to avoid saying that which does not build up, but to intentionally give voice to those things that do. Acknowledge others' gifts and talents, thank them for their help and their contributions. Tell your children the things that make them so wonderful. Share with your spouse the things you really appreciate about him or her. Be supportive of others' dreams and ideas. Give voice to God's goodness made manifest all around us. Living in truth, refusing to let our anger be destructive, speaking only words of nurture and grace. These are the marks of a life made over by Christ. Living this life is hard. It is sacrificial. It is dying to self. And it's totally outside our abilities. But here's the thing about those reality makeovers. The person being made over, they simply show up. And the work is done on them. So it is with us. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us empowers us to become the people we we are created to be. When we sit in prayer, when we spend time in Scripture, when we are fed by Christ in the Eucharist, we open ourselves to this transforming power. The Holy Spirit works within us and in the midst of our relationships to mold us, if we are willing, more and more into the shape of Christ. We, who are a new creation, are not meant to wear the threadbare and ill-fitting garments of our old life. We are meant to be clothed in Christ. You and I are being invited into a divine makeover. Let's accept the invitation. Amen.